Welcome to B2B Impact by BDB. Join me, Matt Smith, CEO of BDB, and Oliver Brewood, BDB's Head of Digital and Technology, as we get together to discuss the myriad of trends, topics, opportunities, and developments in the world of B2B marketing and communications. Our aim is to arm you with content, opinions, and insights that deliver lasting and meaningful impact across the B2B community, helping the global businesses and brands we partner with navigate their way through the information and communication revolution. Are you ready to make an impact? Hi everybody and welcome back to the B2B Impact and on this week's episode we thought we'd share an internal piece of work we had done by our research insights and strategy team here at BDB. So as part of our own internal strategy and planning for our next financial year being 22-23, which uh, Ollie was present at the day, um, I asked the team to look at some marketing trends and predictions uh, going into the uh, finality of uh, FY 2022 uh, and into the new uh, calendar year. Um, so the guys have summarised, I think there's sort of six to eight kind of key trends that they see that will be impacting the B2B marketing communications mix in the months and, and year ahead. Um, I think it's fair to say, from what we're going to go through today, Oliver, a lot of these are more evolve evolutions of um, things that people should already be fairly familiar with. There's a couple of new topics dropping in there as well. Yeah. Um, but there's not a lot of evolution around what I would say are relatively well-known industry practices at the minute, including content, customer journeys, customer experience, video marketing and the like, mm -hmm. um, alongside some more sustainability efforts around planet um, and how you can balance planet and profit as well. And maybe if we start off there today, yep. in terms of the growing trend of valuing profit and the planet in equally prominent measures. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's something that's particularly new. Um, well, we've seen sustainability, I suppose, as mm -hmm. a trend um, for, for one reason or another, for, well, probably for going back a long time. Mm -hmm. I think it's been more prominent, I would guess, for like the last four or five years or so. Yeah. I feel like yeah. that's when it's really hit like the, the public at large. That's yeah. when we, at least in the UK, we started seeing things like plastic straws exchanged for paper. I feel like that's when you started seeing consumers demanding more of, of organizations. Mm -hmm. I think that's where you've seen the pull through from the, the consumer land more into B2B. Um, and as the as the customers become more conscious to sustainability, it certainly put it on the agenda. I think that the, what the articles and what the trends are kind of um, suggesting here is a more authentic approach towards sustainability. Yeah. Um, I think everybody's had to jump on the bandwagon. I think you said that prior to the podcast started yeah. in the sense that there's almost an obligation now to have a stance on sustainability as part of your brand positioning. Yeah. Like, like, I can't comment how genuine everybody's been for, for recent years on the subject. I mm -hmm. think sometimes it feels like it's like been lip service or let's just say sustainability, let's let's um, claim we're doing it or let's start doing some of it. Yep. But now it feels like um, there's, there's a bit more genuineness behind it. I think that's an interesting point, I think, as people are trying to develop their um, sustainabilities and get social awareness strategies more into the into the year ahead. It was um, walking one of the studies, the marketer's toolkit, that suggested that 32% of contributors to their study um, agreed that there is still a gap between the company's statements and the company's actions, yeah. which I guess is where greenwashing and that term uh, has come from in the past, which I think m many businesses are guilty of still. Yeah. Um, I think when you got, you're facing a decision, it's like, well, we could do this, but it's gonna cost us money should we bother or not or how far is a bridge too far I, I feel like it would be quite a quite a, 
a likely internal discussion to be happening. I think it's got it's got to evolve further beyond talking a good game around it, and that's my take on things. Speaking yeah. bluntly, but we've seen it in the exhibition space when it comes to actually taking a more sustainable approach to exhibitions. People are reluctant to if it doesn't deliver that show-stopping experience. Yeah, exactly. People are reluctant to if it doesn't save them money, uh, which is ironic in a way because the whole concept may be that you have to pay a bit more to be more sustainable at times. But um, that offset of a uh, planet and profit certainly are slightly at odds with one another. Um, and I think, I guess, what we're starting to see is that you have to, more and more you have to make the decision to be more genuinely sustainable because buyers and consumers are becoming more conscious of who they're buying from. Therefore, by not genuinely getting on the bandwagon, then you're not going to be somebody that people are going to continue buying from long term. Completely. But I think the tone, the tone for that kind of messaging, mantra and drive has to start at the top of the organisation. So I think in some of the B2B organisations that we work or have worked with, the difficulty is convincing the C-suite of, is the planetary benefit does it outweigh the profit yeah. benefit? Because um, I can say, obviously, it'll depend on the nature of the company. But if it's uh, marketing, get together and have mm-hmm. a strategy day and, mm-hmm. and they see this as a trend and they say, great, we want to get involved in this. What have we done sustainability-wise? They're coming from the from kind of the wrong position because they're talking about what they want to communicate. But yep. then, then they've got to work that back up the business. Yep. And if, to actually implement those initiatives, it needs to come from, like you say, more from the C-suite. That's it. And I think... Um, one of the trends that was picked out here is referring to this growing trend of moving towards what, what they've termed the double bottom line, which I quite liked, like the finance background there. But in terms of the bottom line, is something that all C-suite individuals and uh, you know they're monitoring all the time in terms of profitability, EBITDA growth, in terms of the growth and the performance of the headcount of the business and all your key KPIs and metrics. Thinking about almost your sustainability, sustainability efforts, your carbon footprint, your, your impact on the environment as an additional bottom line alongside it. And it's something I think we should, you know, consider to do here at BDB as well, alongside our carbon neutral status. But actually having a KPI around looking at the overall impact of the business. So, you know, the articles referred to here around the impact of materials, energy consumed, digital services, emissions generated by ad campaigns, reusing items that are no longer needed. So it runs a lot deeper than either just throwing cash at it, mm. but actually thinking about uh, uh, the the, the planetary impact is almost its own bottom line that you can measure and you can measure your improvements and progress against that over time. Mm. Um, yeah. So some interesting points in there and I think something we're going to see growing again across uh, many uh, many of our clients and prospects. The effectiveness gap was the next one, which I think we kind of touched on in a previous podcast in a way, thinking more about long-term measurement and yeah. success. Because I think a lot of, of marketing campaigns are often quite focused on on kind of short-term um, short-term metrics, short-term measures, which, I, you know, if you've listened to the last couple of episodes, I think we've kind of touched on the idea that we know buyers aren't in market all the time. So the short-term measures are, are really only addressing the people that are in market mm-hmm. or at least interested in the subject matter. Whereas I suppose if we, what the effectiveness gap is, is talking about is having kind of short-term metrics, sure, but also having more long-term metrics. It's a longer term view, isn't it? Because I think people are looking for that quick impact of a marketing campaign or whatever activity they've got on the go. The article's also suggesting that it's been the push towards a longer term viewpoint on measurement is being forced out by some of the changes in technologies, softwares around it, around cookies um, and the changes that are coming, I guess, with what you were referencing last week in relation to Google and so on. Mm -hmm. That's forcing some of the more short term metrics that we're more familiar with that are now being pulled or removed or changed or evolved potentially yeah. um, that you're going to be forced almost into a long term viewpoint but 
I guess from a client standpoint and, and a stakeholder standpoint, again, it's great saying long-term view. The skeptic in me sort of said, is that marketeers avoiding avoiding wanting to be measured in a way because it's always worth you can't measure us yet we're not ready for that i think yeah. the key with, with anything there is just start measuring <laughs> like you know mm-hmm. um the long-term view we know is going to be harder to measure and we'll probably get it wrong at first as you, if you as you sit down with any organization you start saying well let's look at sales this year or customer retention this year or customer referrals whatever it might be you're trying to do let's look at it now compared to where we're at in a year's time and two years time obviously that's really long is much more long-term thinking than how does this campaign do in the next three months but if we don't start trying to measure it we yeah. won't we won't really know where we're at we won't know if it's having any success or not actually it's a really good point i think a lot of the a lot of business and brands and people you speak to don't take the leap of faith to start do they? yeah so i think without without that baseline of where you are even from even from something as simple as an mps score or a yeah. satisfaction score and something we constantly discuss here i guess it internally yeah um but you've got to have that baseline to then be able to measure from as you, and i get as the fear i think especially you know marketers in, in general i'm not saying this is true for everybody but in general we're not really that target driven you know we're not like a sales team where they know they've got to hit this number of leads a, a month otherwise you know their job might be on the line or they'll be in for a performance review or their mm-hmm. bonus and, and therefore financial well-being is dependent on it marketers in general aren't in that stricter situation i think we're more hesitant about having these kind of things in place but i think as long as it's coming from a a position of of understanding and knowing that you know for a year or two of doing this yeah is, is setting a benchmark and understanding where we're at and understanding what the results of the investment are. And, uh, you know, you might find that 12 months in that maybe the method you've chosen to measure isn't really the right method for you or the campaign didn't do what you thought it would do. But if you don't try and measure it, yep. then you don't, you, you know, you're not making any progress at all. You can't, you're just operating blind. The next one was in relation to this move towards revenue over MQLs or marketing qualified leads. So I think we've seen uh, in recent years, uh, many uh, many clients' activities, the core KPI that they're looking to generate is some form of MQL, so marketing qualified lead that's then passed to the sales team for them to follow up with effectively. Mm-hmm. And I think the criticism comes in the marketplace of that interaction between sales and marketing that you could generate the best marketing qualified lead, pass it to sales, and it dies with sales because they don't do anything with it. Or sales get the lead, but say it's a, it's a, it's a crap lead, putting it bluntly, because... Uh, they've had no involvement in qualification of what a good yeah. lead looks like, which then leads you back to the age-old argument of sales and marketing alignment yeah. or misalignment, I guess, in this case. Yeah, because yeah. so, I guess there's a high chance that that MQL might have downloaded a white paper and might not be ready for sales at all. Absolutely. So I guess there's a there's been a movement in recent months and years towards this kind of more revenue, RevOps, revenue operations model, which I, I, I think is the way you're going to see it going. I think I said it in the previous podcast that I'd, I don't know in, in the future whether you'll have a marketing and a sales team and you might just have a, a revenue a revenue team mm-hmm. for people that are filling the funnel. Um, and that obviously links back to ABM as well, potentially. But I think the other part here is, as well that's interesting is that it's, it's also potentially linked to a quantity versus quality argument as well. Because I know yeah. some sales teams will be targeted on number of leads, but I think it's more common that mm-hmm. you'll be given some kind of benefit based on percentage of revenues. Therefore, it's more size of opportunity. Mm-hmm. But I think that doesn't really translate back to marketing. That is normally more on that numerical end of how many leads can we get through. Whereas, you know, we all know getting one huge lead that would that would bring in millions for your organization is better than getting 20 leads that bring in, you know, 50,000 each. And that's where the, the, the tie-in is to ABM or account-based marketing. Oh, so so the trends would argue at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, as we touched on last week, ABM's a big 
unwieldy task to take on. There's benefits and drawbacks to, to adopting that kind of approach. But I guess the principles of ABM around being more targeted, more clear at the start at who you want to work with, who you want to target, um, and be more tailored and personalised in your approach to that rather than casting mm-hmm. the net wide is where uh, ABM comes in. So I suppose the last thing I'd say on the revenue versus the MQL thing is it's really tying it back to you're, you're measuring it based on a business objective instead of mm-hmm. kind of, a, again, a more, yeah, I guess, fluffy marketing objective. It's got a real impact to the business if you can say this revenue has come about because of us here. I guess what, uh, yeah, and I guess then you've got to be able to tr- make sure you've got the tracing, the tracking available to do it. Yeah. There's always a disconnection somewhere in the in that journey yeah. as well, sometimes, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, moving on to customer journeys, um, which again I don't think is anything particularly new. They're, they're talking more around the growing trend of mapping the customer journey to the customer experience at the various uh, touch points. I guess with the with the brand throughout that process, mm-hmm. which for me sounds like a pretty basic. A pretty basic trend in a way that you, you you wouldn't have considered that, but I guess it's also thinking about the platforms, the tools, the technologies, how and why people are interacting with the brand beyond just making sure the content fits. It's also the mechanism and the platform that's delivered on potentially. Yeah, and like we know, it's it's a very complex landscape these days. I suppose like we touched on with the last point, it's not easy to understand every step of the customer journey. We know people can jump around the the stages in the in the journey, but I suppose it's more about approaching this and understanding that there is a customer journey and it doesn't necessarily fit your nice linear model that you you might think it would that they see an advert and they go to your website and they fill in a form and then they become a customer yeah there's a million steps that go in there they'll go back and forth check your social media they might completely disconnect from you as an organization for three months and then see an email from you that kind of reignites things and yeah it's, it's not a straightforward process so it, it certainly warrants that attention and it's sort of suggesting in the sense of that also I guess the rise of the CRM again in the sense of the importance of having a quality CRM system in the background linked into your marketing automation if, that, if that's something you're entertaining at this point um, but track, tracking the interactions with the brand and gathering that data over time which I guess it, you know, could feed more of an AI predictive mm-hmm. marketing model in the future Yeah, and one of the points that's suggested here as well is uh, to adopt a mobile first strategy which I think is an interesting point because uh, you know if you log into I know this will vary by company but I suspect that for the most of the type of clients that we work with if you log into your Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics you'll probably see that you're still getting uh, 70 plus percent of your traffic coming from mm-hmm. uh, desktop devices probably very little tablet and sort of 10 to 30 percent coming from mobile yeah. so is it is mobile first right potentially not in some industries but I think then the other the, the counterpoint to that is when you start doing things like advertising campaigns through social media, mm-hmm. you've got to remember that audience more often than not is looking at like LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever it is on the phone. So for that type of activity, you're going to see the complete opposite where 80 or 90% of your traffic is coming from from uh, mobile. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think that uh, I, we don't see B2B companies focusing on mobile enough when they do like a landing page design, for example. Okay, interesting. And one of the things that jumped out of this section was in relation to what's termed... Um, zero click searches mm-hmm. so it's something that i've not to i mean it's i guess it's something we should be aware of but in i've never seen it raised in an article before so it was saying that zero click google searches rose nearly 65 percent in 2020 mm-hmm. um so the the articles and the, and the thought leadership i guess is suggesting that this could be linked to the pandemic with greater overall search volumes taking place with people being intentionally at home or or, or, or isolating or working away from the office um, and i think google are, are at odds with the study as they may 
choose to be because mm-hmm. um, obviously it's impacting their products offering and suite of services so what they're saying here ultimately though is that people are arguably finding the answer without requiring a click mm-hmm. through to another yeah. web property effectively so if you've if you've used Google, which I'll assume everybody listening has in yeah. recent years. I'd say- Not where have you been? Yeah. Certainly for the last sort of eight or years, I'm just going to uh, guess, um, Google have been putting more and more information in the search results, not only obviously the search results themselves and the ads, mm-hmm. but also uh, kind of further information, rich, rich text uh, information about the thing you're searching for. You'll see almost like FAQs coming through a lot now. Yeah. So you'll often get an answer to your question without needing to to delve any further. So if you start, yesterday I searched, how much does uh, a child typically grow per year? Trying yep. to work out when uh, my daughter might be ready to go to a, a theme park and go on some of the bigger rides. Yep. I didn't have to go to a further page there because you get the brief answer you need mm-hmm. uh, just from one of those snippets. So I think that's what you're seeing rather than, you're not losing kind of meaningful traffic that might become purchasers mm-hmm. Aren't, aren't the ones that are losing out and not traveling through each page because that detailed information still needs to come from a deeper page. I think what you're losing out on is some of those more informational searches Yep. where the, I'd say if, if the answer could come from Wikipedia, there's a very high chance that that could end up being a zero. Thinking about the impact, the impact on our clients of this, I mean, as I say, it's a study and there's fairly different viewpoints on it. But if, if, if that is the way things are heading, what, what would the advice be for clients and prospects? Are we saying think about the content, the customer journey? Are we thinking about mm. the amount you're spending on Google Ads potentially? What, what What's the impact on the overall mix, would you say? I think if you, from my point of view, if you're thinking about the people that might be trying to search to find a supplier of products or services, mm-hmm. you probably don't have a big concern from the point of view of they're never going to get the answer that they need from just a sentence on Google. Yep. However, I, I do think there's actually an opportunity in here to try and take advantage of it in terms of the kind of content that you put on your site. You can look to position your content to appear in some of those um, kind of rich text snippets. Mm-hmm. So if you want to um, start putting more informational content out there and, and tagging it appropriately, mm-hmm. there is a chance, not a guarantee, yeah. that Google will pick it up and therefore somebody searching for that information might end up on your site. They obviously might not be a potential buyer or target audience of yours, yeah. but sometimes they might be. Because I guess the concern is if they're finding the answer relatively quickly just from a straight search and you find the answer. So like yesterday, you said what you what you Googled there. Did you look at who provided that answer for you and who'd added no, that value? That, no, not that, in that, that case. sort of disconnect on it, isn't it, a little bit? And therefore, if you've got, where you've got things like, uh, let's say that's coming, I imagine that site is probably a new site or informational site that's probably yep. driven by ad revenue. Yep. Therefore, that's what they're losing out on. Yep. But where we're talking about a B2B company who, who are looking for a, you know, a, a buyer to actually visit their site and that is more based on an inquiry, not ad revenue. I don't think there's a big concern there because you'll have to go to find a supplier for, for the product you're looking for. You're not going to get it from the line. I guess the con- concern could be, could you get an answer? Or could, could the answer that's being provided lead them to a different supplier? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Uh, I guess the next one that was on the list was in relation to what well, sounds like a very complex topic of neuromarketing. And I've got, I'll be honest with the I mean, listeners, I had, to, I had to do a bit of reading on this one to make sure I can actually articulate it. But I guess neuromarketing as an overall category is talking around, I guess, ultimately understanding human behavior, which means understanding how the brain operates mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and it's been used as a strategy for predicting how you can help resolve client queries, questions, mm-hmm. Or, or I would argue, get people to engage with the brand. Yeah. So, I, from my understanding of reading on this one, there's an awful lot of 
theory behind this at the minute. I can't say it's been top of anybody's agenda that hmm. I'm aware of. But I think it's I think it's a labelling of it because I think there's a lot of things in that could fall under this yeah. that are not um, not new practices. So I remember reading about a study years ago where having the smell of um, lemon in the air. Yep put people more in the mind to clean. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, that, that sort of thing um, is understanding how, obviously how the brain works and could, could be used in a more consumer setting to yeah. influence a purchase within a, you know, a retail shop. Um, I think we were talking about an example a couple of weeks ago that would probably fit within this as well, which was around understanding how ads were likely to perform. And you know, the old school model would be watch an ad and then fill in the survey afterwards mm-hmm. that says like do you think you're likely to buy from this company yeah. but the way somebody logically answers a question when asked isn't necessarily the same way that they'll behave um subconsciously mm-hmm. and therefore we're more moving towards a model where if you're really launching a big campaign and you want to understand the performance you might get in, involved in things like eye tracking yeah. which i'm presuming you know a lot of, of, of the bigger brands will be doing yeah because then you 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 can tell much more about how engaged the person is. What are they looking at within the ad? Are they looking completely elsewhere in the room and things like that? Um, which just tell you more than if that person just fills in a survey after the fact. I've seen this applied against the events and exhibition space as well because there's, there's software and technology out there now that not only measures traffic control and traffic flows and you know heat mapping where people are when you stand, which has always been around for a few years now in terms of understanding what areas worked well and what areas didn't. The software are now that's effectively, I guess, reading the facial expressions and so on of the attendees as well beyond that. To yeah, see. Yeah. So it's a similar kind of principle of how are they happy? Are they sad? Are they scared? Are they intimidated to come on the stand? There's all those kind of studies, which again is feeding more uh, well, I'd term predictive marketing in the sense of, you know, if you do this, you should get this result kind of approach to, to it as well. So it's interesting. But as you say, I think a lot of it ties back to emotion and emotional engagement and are people engaging with the brand if you try to do that, understanding. I guess there's a lot of studies that are going to be sat behind this one, isn't there? And it'll be interesting to see, it'll be interesting to see whether this makes a list next year, in my mind, to an extent. Because mm-hmm. is it one of these flash-in-the-pan terms like neuromarketing that you're going to see and never hear spoken about again or whether it's going to mm-hmm. genuinely come to the forefront? I guess the other aspect is things like eye-tracking and, and facial coding, as they term it. Um, there's clearly going to be have to be some budget spent behind that so you need to have a willingness from a client not only to be willing to invest in a campaign design creation uh, and so on and so forth but also the willingness to invest in this aspect of it Mm -hmm. and then for it to be valuable the willingness to change what your planned campaign is or was going to be off the back of it so it's, it's definitely going to have some additional budget connotations and i guess that flows into the next point around ai potentially in the sense of the rise of the machines you keep hearing it referred to but i guess ai is quite often around the gathering of data to then make predictive behaviors ultimately in in the grand scheme of things Mm -hmm. um are you seeing any clients really go big or clients or prospects or any brands that are really going big on ai at the minute that in the b2b space particularly because i think people are aware of it it's been on the agenda for a while but the fear of the kind of big data argument and the and the investment and time requirement of it. I'm sure there will be, there will definitely be brands that there are, but I think from the type of clients that we work with, I don't think this has kind of reached their um, kind of sphere yet. Mm-hmm. And I suppose so part of that might just come down to volume of data. Cause I think if, if you're talking about small volumes of data, it doesn't, doesn't need AI to analyze it, but also you're not likely to get valuable conclusions mm-hmm. from that. I think for, for AI, uh, in a kind 
kind of machine learning kind of sense to get some useful insights, it needs to have an awful lot of data going through it to be able to understand, you know, what does this variant re in, in that user persona, for example, really result in a, a yeah. more likely uh, person to purchase. It's also setting your parameters, isn't it? Because I think, I think a lot of people at the minute are, are paralyzed by this of not knowing what, not measurement again, but not knowing what to measure, what to record and what data to collect. So they either end up collecting everything it might, might be a value of building a database and building some kind of something in the background, obviously, but then they're not sure how to put it to use yet in a way, and um, which which stops them actually with the gathering of the data, which then stops them even entering the kind of machine learning state which, in a way. I also guess it's potentially um, affected by um, GDPR and concerns around how much yeah, uh, personal data you're holding on somebody. Um, I think these days you've got to have quite justifiable reasons to hold a lot of data, or at least to ask for a lot of data. I think it might be different if you're, you know, capturing that behavior um, as somebody browses your site or buys your and uses your products, or if your sales team are entering that data as they speak to a customer. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, you can't really just present a customer with a form that says fill in all your, all the details of your business, your life, your company and so on. Okay. And the final few, which I think we can wrap up relatively quickly probably is around content. Um, content continues its reign as one of the core aspects of the marketing communications mix, mm -hmm. um, but it's more I said, linking into the types of content, the content strategy behind it, beyond just adding to the noise of what's going on in the marketplace, mm -hmm. which kind of flows quite nicely into um, but what they've turned here in enhanced video marketing. But breaking that one down, I would say the video is still very much at the forefront of the marketing mix as well. Uh, at various points across the journey. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I think for, for many listeners, that won't be news, but thinking about the platform, um, the length of video, the quality of the video, how people are consuming, like the mobile optimization, like you said earlier, and so on. I think it all comes down to your purpose for that piece of content as well. I think with, with content, that's always what we have to bear in mind. You're not just putting it out there for the, for the sake of it. You need to be thinking about who you want to be reading it and what they're interested in reading or watching mm -hmm. and what they're interested in. Because if you're not doing that, you're likely to just mass produce a lot of kind of self-indulgent content that doesn't really have much value. Yeah. And I think on a future episode, it'd be good to get uh, our motion guys on potentially to speak about some tips and tricks because there's all sorts of things from video length, the format to you know, um, other aspects that can encourage people to engage with the video more. Because mm. I guess if you are scrolling through it on your mobile at the minute, there's a, there's a lot of video content. Yeah. Um, so trying to make your stand out amongst the considerable digital noise. The length of video as well. It's, it's crazy. I, there's a few times I've been on YouTube recently and I've been semi caught by an ad. Yeah. And then I realized the ad three minutes long and I'm like, I'm not watching that. You know, it's an ad for a, like a platform or whatever it might be or a service. And I'm 15 seconds in going like, oh, that's mildly interesting. And then I realize it's not about to end. It's got another two minutes left. So that skip button gets hit. But I think we've certainly seen more a higher budget allocation towards video is what, 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 what the trend's predicting at the minute that if you look at the kind of um, content collateral and, and where things are going at the minute, I think video is, is still growing with, with more money being thrown at it, particularly because arguably it's a quicker and more efficient format to produce content as well. Mm -hmm. Tying back to the content point. Um, the final point I'm going to reference in this week's episode was in relation to influencer marketing, which I just think is an interesting topic maybe to, to finish up on. Mainly because in B2B, you still don't see influencer marketing a lot. You see a lot of thought leadership, roundtables, expertise being brought together. Mm -hmm. um, and that happens a lot with some of the larger brands that we're, that we're working with at the minute. But this is more talking around, I guess, more direct influencer marketing. Now you get influencer agencies popping up for B2B. Mm -hmm. You're getting influencer services. Do you think, where, where, where's your head on that at the minute in the sense of the space? I guess the hard part is if you think about 
consumer influencers. Mm -hmm. That might be somebody that's really into their gadgets. It might be somebody that's really into their makeup. Might be somebody that's really into travel, uh, and they're genuinely quite passionate about it. And but they also love being very social, very vocal about it. And then there's a financial reward that comes from from doing that. Mm -hmm. I think when you think about a lot of the type of clients that we work with, the influencers that are in that space are more likely to be people that are like academics, scientists, yep. and so on and so forth. So they they might be genuinely high value. Um, leaders within the space yep. but they're not like as active on social yeah, yeah no. I know that's quite an anecdotal sort of thing to say but I suppose it'll be interesting to see it might be an age shift as well will yeah. that start to change as, as younger generations become those experts within their respective fields I think you will I think you will see it continue to evolve I think as you say in B2B at the minute the influencer side of it is more angled around thought leadership mm -hmm. um, a lot of the studies and a lot of the guides and a lot of the predictions is trying to make the point around um Influencer marketing in B2B isn't a lead generation tool. So don't expect to see instant results from it. Yeah. Don't expect to see um, a massive kind of sh shift in that for the meantime. It's more around brand alignment. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what we've space. seen with some of our clients when they, you know, they've gone and had an expert from the University of Rotterdam or whatever it might be, and, and they'll participate in a webinar. And there's a, therefore some additional credibility, presumably being lent to, to the message that they're trying to communicate. But I guess what it's probably not is um, driving extra or too much extra awareness to, to their brand around it. It's more, I suppose, lending credibility to the message that they were trying to share. Yes. Yeah, exactly. All right, everybody. I appreciate that was at a pretty rapid pace there. We always try to get these episodes in under 30 minutes. Um, as you see, we start gathering pace towards the end as it gets a bit closer. Um, some of these topics, no doubt, we'll be diving into more detail on in, in coming episodes as these trends continue to evolve uh, and grow into the B2B marketing communications mix um, for FY22 and beyond. Uh, we hope you found it useful. If you'd like any more detail on any of the topics we've covered today, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, but we'll see you next week on the B2B Impact. Thanks.